Hazel Hislop and welcome back to my podcast, Healing Emotions. On this podcast, we're talking about mental health and well-being and how to navigate everyday life challenges while promoting mental health. Hi everyone and welcome back. I hope you're well um, and hope you're wherever you are, that your day is going so good so far. So in London, it's now after 9.30 in the morning. I've been up since 7.30. Um, been challenging myself in the last month to wake up early and join this online writing group called London's Writing Hour. And we meet online on Zoom and write for 50 minutes. So I've been writing from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. And it's quite a good way to start. At first, it was really hard to start uh, waking up to write that early. But it's a really good community. And sometimes you don't write. You just sit or be creative. But today, I was able to add to a chapter in my book. So that's been really good. And um, so I'm now just sitting here to do the podcast and looking forward to the rest of the day. Um got a half day off so my plans are to go and have a massage Thai massage which is actually quite painful but it actually stretches and does a lot to your muscles and all the aches and pains in your body so on a weird way in a weird way after the end of the massage you do feel better although it's a lot of pulling and stretching etc um so i'm looking forward to the rest of my day so hopefully you're looking forward to your day as well so today's topic is a bit more, um, I can't think, educational and more um, formal. And it's come out of the need from, or I guess the demand for service from parents or consultation and, and really support around their teenagers or young people, children, young children. When I say young, I mean in the age of, around the age of, say, between 11 and 14, 15 years who have been self-harming. So today's topic is about self-harming. And um, I guess for me, the, the clients that have been coming to me are girls, only girls between that age group of 11 to 14, 15. So it's, it's becoming a serious um, issue. And I, I noticed personally over the last, I'd say, t- 10 to 12 years that this has been an increasing kind of epidemic among young um, young people, especially girls. And I don't know if we can call it epidemic, but it seems like that. I might be a bit extreme in my language. And I notice it's usually that age, especially with ch- girls going from year seven into year eight, there's something about their identity and um, starting where they're starting to figure out who they are, uh, who, where do they belong, what, who are their friends, because they've moved from primary schools where it's a small setting and there's kind of everything is so, they're so protective, they're so safe, they're in a tiny bubble with maybe one class, um, one teacher, and not really having to be faced with making choices about friendship groups choosing classes so everything is quite new for them when they start secondary school and i think sometimes parents forget that 
they're dealing with a lot of changes, changing school, friends, new teachers, new subjects, so a lot of pressure. Plus, there is that pressure to look a, a different way. So they're going from that innocence of just really being a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old to being someone that now has to think about the way they look, changing hairstyles, being around girls who are wearing makeup, talking about boys. So a lot of changes, but also emotionally and in their hormones. They're changing as well. They're moving from that innocence of childhood into puberty where they're starting to maybe um, they're, men they're having to deal with menstruation, uh, such as the feelings in their body. So a lot is going on in their mind, in their body, in their heart. Um, they're facing a lot of issues with terms of peer pressure, pressure from teachers, from parents. So can you imagine a cocktail of emotions and feelings and changes that impact on them? So it's kind of the other pattern I notice is when they get to the stage of exams, maybe from around 13 to 15, where they have to now start to ch choose topics or they're now going into GCSE years and then there's a pressure of performance to get it right, to know which subjects to choose, um, you know, to think about careers or what, are we going to go to sixth form or are we going to go to college? All those pressures start building up. So that's another pattern that you notice in, in um, when children start and teenagers start self-harming. So self-harm and suicide as well is becoming more prevalent among young people. A major challenge for all self-harm and suicide are manifestations of emotional distress and illnesses, which not only cause individuals and their families and friends distress and anxiety, but also it has a damaging impact on um, economy and the wider society. So what is self-harm? So self-harm, or it's sometimes called self-mutilation, is the act of deliberately inflicting pain and damage to one's own body. Self-harm most often refers to cutting, burning, scratching, and other forms of external injury. It can, however, include internal or emotional harm, such as consuming toxic amount of alcohol or drugs or deliberately participating in unsafe sex. And I just really wanted to quickly say that sometimes younger children self-harm. You might find children who are maybe in so the ages of four to seven might do things like scratching, um, picking this themselves or even head banging so that's another form of self-harm but today we're just looking more at around the ages of 11 to 14 15 the nature and meaning of self-harm however are very are very greatly from person to person in a re in addition the reason a person harms him or herself may be different on each occasion and should not be presumed to be the same People who harm themselves may feel that like they're alone, but, but self-harm is more common than many people realise. The methods of self-harming self can be divided into two broad groups, self-injury and self-poisoning. The most common method of self-injury is by cutting oneself. And the less common methods include swallowing objects, putting objects inside your body, burning, 
um, stabbing, etc. Self-poisoning involves overdosing with a medication. So that's very common with paracetamol or any medicine that's available to the, to the, to the individual or swallowing poisonous substances. The majority of people who attend emergency departments are self-poisoning and have taken over counter medication. Other people take medicine that's been prescribed by their doctors. A small number of people will take illegal drugs or poison themselves with other substances. And alcohol, as I said, is one of the most common um, 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 drugs that they, someone might take. Self-injury, um, which is a scratching, cutting, biting, etc., is more common than self-poisoning. And, and it's very common when someone is self-harming that they may disconnect um, or isolate themselves. Oh, and when they're going through the act of self-harming, they're disconnecting from their body, so they're zoning out. And they may not necessarily feel the pain in the moment, but may after um, suffer the consequences. Um, there was a survey that was done by the Royal College of Psychiatry a few years ago. And it, it showed that 400 people in a 400 per 100,000 people. So 400 in the, of the 100 people in the population would be self-harming. And that number is rising more quickly as time goes on. Most people who have self-harming behaviours or have self-harm don't necessarily have um, a mental health disease, but may have multiple problems such as personal, social and economic. So who is most likely to self-harm? Self-harm occurs most often with teenagers and young adults. And the recent data shows that six to 14% of adolescent boys um, self-harm and 17 to 30 percent of girls self-harm so you see already that the population of girls is much higher than boys 50 percent more adults however can also engage in self-harming behaviors those with mental health conditions or history of self-injury are most likely to repeat so do girls self-harm more than boys? I suppose that's the question you're asking. I mean, certainly the statistics are showing that. Um, but boys, sometimes you it might be that the, the statistics for boys are not that obvious because boys tend to um, do other things like punching walls. And that could be an example of self-harming. So they may kind of act out in different ways. What are the common causes of um, self-harm? The most common cause is wrong emotional distress. So individuals who self-injure may feel that doing so helps release or relieve pent-up emotions and feelings of anxiety, anger or sadness. However, the evidence finds that over time, those raw emotions along with additional feelings of guilt and shame 
will continue to be present and may even worsen. So it may start off simply with feelings of anger, anxiety, anger, sorry, anger or anxiety or sadness. Sometimes, actually, what the young people say to me is that they're not even quite sure. They just have these feelings that they can't put into words and they just feel like they're in pain or confusion or distress. And so the only way that can lead to relief or to make sense of that feeling is to self-harm. And one of my clients, she says that what happens is that usually she's alone and something might happen. For example, one of her friends or so-called friends may say something or have a go at her. And she then isolates herself in her room where she's, you know, thinking about it. She's overthinking and she gets herself into a state where she then starts to feel anxious and then goes into a panic attack. And then she she just spirals out of control and then she then self-harm. And, and recently she said that she was in her bathroom and she was having a bath and um, she was just, she, she was fine before. But she was there, I think, in the bath and she just was thinking and then got to the state where she felt more lonely and isolated and disconnected and then started feeling anxious. And then that led to self-harm. So it's, it's just quite complicated at times in terms of what might lead to the self-harm. But with her situation, after doing that, then she starts feeling bad. She starts feeling guilty. And then the emotions just got more complicated. Most likely, the roots of self-harming behavior can be found in the childhood traumas. And that might include if the, the child young person was exposed to physical chastisement, physical abuse, verbal or sexual abuse. Um, it may also be an indication of more serious mental health issues that are outside of a trauma, such as depression or anxiety or borderline, borderline personality disorder. And I have a client who kind of fits in the borderline personality disorder um, context where or emerging personality disorder where she's um, over time where she's found that the only time that she can get um, people to take her seriously is to threaten self-harm or suicide um, and that's more complicated it's, it's someone might argue that she's looking for attention and yes on the surface of it she's trying to get attention but she's learned over time that's the only way that people would give help because when she's asked for help, when she's verbalized um, her need for help, she's, that's been ignored. And that's been rooted in, in sort of issues around childhood abuse, being um, sexually um, human trafficked, um, and just being um, experiencing abuse and control by her traffickers. So she's developed these complex symptoms that over time, when she thinks that no one is listening to or helping her, her way of doing, um, getting that is to, well, I suppose the first thing is because she's so frustrated and distressed and feeling helpless, her only way of coping is to do that. But secondly, is to also cry for help and to say to people that you're not listening to me, you're not helping me. And this is someone who is in their early 20s. Other reasons might be someone who's been bullied, pressures at school or at work, um, 
and recently I had a parent who came to me for consultation because his daughter was under a lot of pressure um, at school and at home. And he told me a story of when she was seven, sorry, when she was in year seven, him feeling really, um, she was being um, prepared to do um, the exams for getting into, I think, a private school or grammar school. And he had built up so much um, energy around that. And he was getting so, um, I think it was more important for, to him than to her. And he had put so much pressure on himself and her to, to get into this examination board. I think she was probably around maybe 11. That she, um, it was just too much pressure there for her. And um, over time. She just felt really kind of on the, in, I guess, the pressure to perform and to continue to be this bright student that she started self-harming. So that was one of the reasons that led to that. Sometimes it's just as simple as a family argument um, or worries around money or having low self-esteem. Or even um, when if you've gone through a grief or bereavement, etc. Um Sometimes in extreme cases, if you're under the like, if you're involved in the criminal justice system, so it's it's quite a wide kind of variation of who might self harm. Um, so I guess it's really thinking about just being aware, um, of kind of that this has become something that's become quite prevalent, and um, that if you're a parent, to to sort of look out for the signs. Of, of your your child, if they're looking at things, they're starting to um, show signs of being different from what you used to be. If they're starting to maybe just get quite upset and tearful and isolating themselves, um, and you're noticing marks on their body, you're noticing just a change of behavior. Um, you, I think it's it's important to start paying attention to that. Um, and um, the way in which if you had concerns about your child's self-harming, the first thing to do is not to, um, because a lot of parents respond by, um, you know, being angry at the child or blaming the child or blaming themselves. Or you might just feel helpless. I think it's important for you to know that um, most in most cases, it's not because the person is looking for attention. A lot of people say that it's attention seeking. There is a tiny amount of population that would be doing it for um, attention. And it's also become a phenomenon where you find a group of um, young people might be kind of having a competition in terms of who can self-harm the most. And they might be something that they bond with. So that's become part of their identity. So you get a small population of young people who are doing it for attention or it's become like a thing uh, a thing for them but generally most people self-harm because they're in pain they're dis emotionally feeling distress they've not learned how to manage or cope with their emotions and so this is the, the way in which they can relieve that the feelings of emotions so a lot of time when young people or, or anyone who comes into therapy with those 
behaviors of self-harm or or the feeling of want to self-harm mm -hmm. generally i've noticed is when they've not really learned coping skills from a very young age they've not learned how to express their emotions they've not learned how to express their feelings communication within the family mm -hmm. might not be um something that's quite common and so they've not learned the techniques and skills of how to ask for help of how to talk about their feelings of how to talk about their emotions um and so most so the therapy that i offer is not just for the individual for the young person in terms of teaching them coping skills but it's also teaching them how to access their feelings how to give meaning to their feelings how to find the words to express how they're feeling but also helping the parents to learn to communicate learn to show model what good communication look like learn to model of how to spend time together as a family to listen to to, to share feelings to share emotions um because most families most parents have not been taught by their parents how to communicate their feelings so you'll find a lot of people just keeping or suppressing um, those feelings and not expressing them um, sometimes um, the parent might not be available um, emotionally or physically because they may be busy with work um, worried in their own life about money um, their parent might also be in an abusive relationship so emotionally that parent is sort of absent and might not be aware it, that happens in the school as well where the, the teachers might be so focus on getting results and having meeting deadlines and pressure from the government around educational standards that they're not aware that that some young people cannot cope with that pressure and may need additional support so i think it's important to just be aware that kind of when we're managing self-harming behavior um, that can also lead to suicidal thoughts and behavior that it's not just the, the young person or the, the, the individual who have to cope with that and just go to counseling, etc. But the whole family, the whole community, the system has to get involved in terms of supporting that person. And there is clear evidence that shows that <laughs> self-harm can lead to um, suicidal suicidal thoughts or the act of suicide so it's important to intervene quite early so where would you get help there's a number of ways in which you can access help there's sort of 24-hour um, services online and through telephone that you can access help through um, like the samaritans is one of those places that you can go to if you think you you're dealing with self-harm in your own life or you've got a child or you know someone who's self-harming or maybe expressing suicidal thoughts so the samaritan have a 24-hour helpline and i think their number is um from the number i've got i don't know if this is an updated number it's 116123 116123 um and if you google online they would they've also got an email address that you can access They've also there's also shout, which is shout crisis text line, shout as in S H O U T shout crisis text line, and their text number is eight five two five eight eight five two five eight, 
and childlined. If you're under 19 years old, you could ring up Childline yourself if you're maybe experiencing abuse and um, neglect, then you can call 800 1111. That's Childline. If you prefer web chat, there's self injury support web chat for women and girls, which is open on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday between 7 to 9 30 pm. And um, you, if you go online and you go into the self-injury support web chat, you will get the details for them. There's also CALM web chat, which is C-A-L-M, CALM web chat for men. And that's from 5 p.m. to midnight every day. You can also go to your GP um, and the GP will be able to um, kind of point you to the right services so they may point you to um they might they may have in-house counselors and therapists that they're working with or they may point you to um the like the CAMS the look if it's for children and young people the child and adolescent mental health services they may do a referral then or crisis team if it's an emergency um but I just really want to stop and say if the injury is quite um, for example if the person have cut themselves or they've overdosed don't wait to go to your gp you need to go straight to a e um to get help straight away or call the emergency number for help but if it's something that can wait then the gp is the next best option to go to and they can then point you in the right direction um you can also there's also um I think I've already called called the help numbers, emergency numbers. If you wanted to access direct therapy and counselling, then there's it's a minefield of therapists and counsellors who work privately and you can access the information online. But always check how experienced that counsellor or therapist is. Always always check whether they're registered and they're um they've got experience in working with self-harm or suicide and um, the more experienced the, the, the therapist clearly that will be very useful so I think before you choose someone just make sure that you ask questions about the experience um, and, and in terms of how they would support you and I would say maybe because I'm biased it's always important to work with a therapist who not only works with if you're if you your parent not just work with your child, but also can work with you and the family, um to support you and to have regular meetings and checkups, um because the the child working on their own yes they can be going to therapy to talk about their feelings, and to talk about how to to cope, but they're going back into the same environment that might be triggering some of those problems, whether it's in the home or school or work, wherever. So that's why it's important that the change is not just within the person or individual, but change is also, it must happen in the context of where the problem is happening. So parents would also have to take responsibility to be part of that process. And the school it's important to have meetings with school and with all, wherever, whoever is involved with, with the young person. Um, and, and 
I suppose I'm very passionate about this because some parents will send the child and just expect the therapist to sort the child out. But actually, that's not the right way. The right way is to for everyone to be involved because it's a holistic issue, not just an individual issue. Um, and it's the more support you offer for the young person, it's, it's the better for them. So really and truly, I think if, if you're... If you're noticing changes in, for example, for most uh, most parents, if you're noticing subtle changes in your child, especially around the ages of um, kind of 11 to 15, and they're kind of distressed and upset, but you're not really sure what's happening, then I think ultimately pay attention to that. But for those young people who are self-harming, it's important that you have a conversation with them about your concern, that you don't, you make them aware that they're not in trouble, that you're genuinely concerned for them and you want to help and you want to support them and you want to find the right help. So start that conversation with them and be open to um, the journey because it may not necessarily go away straight away. It may take a while. And sometimes even when the, the young person is getting better, there may be a relapse. So just be aware to be patient. But also just to carry on living as well. Don't put life on hold. You have to carry on creating as much as a normal environment as possible. And to carry on supporting them, but also encourage them to, you know, to, to, to not isolate themselves, to get involved in activities with friends, with school. And, and sometimes if it means that the pressure is coming from school, sometimes the extremes, extreme has to where you have to maybe change school if the school is not supporting them. Sometimes it might mean taking some time out, um, etc. And finally, I would say um, it's, there is an idea that medication will you know, take the problem straight away. Medication is always a last resort. I'm talking about medication, prescribed medication that your GP might prescribe if if you're kind of having symptoms of anxiety or depression or sadness. That's the quick fix, but it doesn't actually solve the problem. And for young people, it's a last resort because it's so much complication with medication and medication can also become addictive. addictive. So that's the last resort and I would never encourage that unless it's really important in terms of a short-term solution before the problem can be resolved so i hope this is been useful and um you know you can access your gp or all the emergency numbers that i've mentioned online and or seek therapy if you need any further support thank you and um good luck if in terms of finding the right help if that's you that's struggling at the moment. So thank you once again for listening to this podcast. I hope that you found it useful. And if so, please don't forget to like, share or follow me on this platform. Or why not follow me on Instagram at his love page or check out my website www.hazelhislove.com
gmail.com. Thank you. Until next time.